This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 55. My guest this week, Nikki Graham, is a fashion designer turned illustrator whose work you might have come across via huge names like Selfridges, Harrods, Liberty, Accessorize and even the BBC. She's also, like a lot of us, a struggling creative entrepreneur. She and I have shared conversations about income and money on Twitter together quite a few times over the last year or so. And just recently, she shared some great advice and resources for sole traders and business owners. It was one of those threads that I tried to avoid for a day or so, but it kept popping up on my feed and I knew I was being faintly ridiculous. So I made myself dive on in and what I found was just so valuable that I invited Nikki to come on the show and talk about it all some more. So for anyone feeling maybe a little bit like me, having seen the title for this episode, maybe feeling tempted to skip it because really it is the most uncomfortable topic, money, please don't turn off yet. I think it's a really valuable and interesting conversation and we all need to get better at pushing past our fear of talking about our finances. Okay, so if you're still with me, let's do it. Hi Nikki, welcome to Hashtag Authentic. Hi Sarah. So for anyone who hasn't come across you online or maybe only knows you by your online name, could you give us the quick introduction to who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm Nikki and I'm on Instagram as Miss Magpie Spy um, and I'm a fashion designer turned illustrator. Fantastic. So people might recognise your work, I think, if they could see it. Obviously, this is an audio format. Um, what kind of places might people have seen your work? Um, at the moment, I've got work in uh, some of the accessorised stores um, and I've done a lot of work with Clinique on packaging, um, Moulton Brown, lots of fashion and beauty brands. So it's very kind of bright and fun and colourful and um, it's all hand-drawn. So it's quite quite recognisable. Yeah, I would say it was quite recognisable. And one of the th- many things I love about your work is you have a really diverse range of women in it modelling different types of clothes. There's, there's always a real representation of different types of bodies. So really with the diversity of my work, that's something that I've pushed myself. I realised that actually I was just creating more and more of the same, I was creating a lot of illustrations with tall, thin, white, young women on them. And um, as someone who isn't those things, I really wanted, it made me realise that I, I needed to do something myself to make sure that I was creating diverse um, imagery. So I started on my blog, um, illustrating the same outfit on three different women and photographing it on me. And yeah, so that's why when you sort of see my work, there's a lot of diversity. And as a result, I've got commissioned to do that kind of work from brands such as um, Bowdoin and that face. So yeah, it's good. It's really good. It's And it's kind of interesting to hear it from that business perspective as well, that actually it's, it's led to more work. Because I think sometimes people are afraid that by changing what they do or by doing something that's slightly different to the mainstream, that they might be risking, uh, risking their kind of profitability for their um politics or for their beliefs yeah it was definitely a risk and and there is there is kind of an an elitism in fashion illustration there there is a you know it's a very kind of beautiful and there's a very certain aesthetic to it that I don't really play into that often actually um I find it much more interesting now that I've that I've opened my eyes that it doesn't have to be this kind of whimsical 
you know, slip of a woman every time. Still love I love looking at people's work that can that can do that. But um, yeah, it's made it more interesting for me. And the risk, like you say, the risk paid off. We've been planning to do this podcast together for quite a while. And the first time we talked about it was a conversation that you and I had, and it kind of sparked a wider conversation on Twitter about money. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. So I had posted a tweet about my income that year and I'd had a really good year in my business and kind of hit the multiple six-figure mark. And I was sharing that as kind of a look how much is possible and meanwhile I think you were having a more difficult year in your business yeah I had um it was yeah 2017 for me was really difficult um for no reason other than just freelance life um things just weren't coming in that I had hoped would come in so yeah I was I was kind of on the other other end of the scale as you and it was a really interesting kind of conversation that sprung from those two points because that is the reality sometimes of freelance life, isn't it? Is that for some people, it's going to be a great year. For other people, it's not going to be such a great year. And actually, you might be doing very similar things in terms of kind of your output and how hard you're working and how much you're innovating. But it's just sometimes the the way the dice roll. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I remember we talked about that at the time. We'd both been working probably equally as hard. We'd been trying as hard it doesn't you know when people kind of go just go for it and if you're following your dreams and it will it will work and I just don't necessarily think that that is true um and it was it was really good for us I think to have that conversation really openly um for people to see that it's it's not as simple as just trying hard yeah there's a lot of Pinterest stuff isn't there about you know just hustle get your hustle on and uh a friend was just telling me the other day that they were listening to an audiobook that were saying um, every time you go out for drinks or go out on your bike, you're not working on your business and you can't expect it to succeed. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know if that message is helpful or even true. Yeah, I mean, I've, I found actually last year that I reached a point where I've got to stop trying so hard because actually I, I, I kind of lost sight of what was natural, what was... Um, what work I naturally wanted to do or what I was I was trying to create to get work. Um, and actually at one point um, I was overdrawn and I, I mean, we can go into this further, but I, I didn't have savings or anything, but I booked a flight to Vietnam and I took a massive risk, but I, I kind of knew that for myself creatively, I needed to get out and away and that it was a huge risk financially, but it paid off something, something clicked um, having a rest and, uh, change of scene it was amazing my friend Helen um, Helen Stevens who's an illustrator she has mentioned to me before that sometimes she'll just deliberately schedule in like a period of six months to a year where she can just get back to doing her work for herself and not schedule any books not not agree to any contracts um, for that kind of reason because the thing that you start that you did at the start that got you into whatever it is you do your creative business whether that is illustration or whether it's something kind of you know coaching based it started from a passion and and something that you explored for fun and because you enjoyed it and if you don't keep that in your business you need to make time and space for it otherwise you stay really static and you stay with just that same skill set you started with I think yeah I would agree with that I mean it's uh, I mean, it's kind of the dream for me to be able to take that sort of time out. Six to twelve months would be amazing. Um, on this occasion, I took a I took a month, and there are at least now from doing this for so many not so many years, but I've been a full time illustrator for a few years now, and I know that there are months that are completely dead. Um, and now those are the months that I use to do my personal work and to sort of 
duck out of it and I don't try in those months I just do my own thing I love that what an amazing realization to have let's talk about the realities of running a business when money is tight you mentioned then that you were like overdrawn can you remember much else about kind of the day-to-day money management of years like last year yeah I mean I've always been quite good with money and I don't know um I don't know whether sometimes that just comes naturally to people um, I've always kind of known what's in my account and what isn't, um, and I've all, and I've not come from any money, so I've sort of learned through the years to respect it. But last year really was the first time that I've, in my sort of adult life, that I've gone, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I really did have months where one month I earned, I invoiced for three hundred pounds, and my mortgage was nine hundred pounds, oh. and it's so soon. I so soon went from having a reasonably healthy sort of situation where I had a bit of money in there as a buffer to being to the point where I was right at the end of my overdraft and couldn't get any more. I, I had um, calls to the bank and everything. It was really so stressful. And it has taught me a lot about um, the fact that money doesn't drive me, but I do need it. I do need to respect it a bit more. Um, I, I've had a lot of times over the years where I've, I've sort of worn it like a badge like money money doesn't drive me I don't need money and you know that's kind of crazy everybody kind of needs a certain amount to get by um for me I, I know a lot of people say money is freedom but um I think I got this from Sass Petherick actually but money for me is safety and having been in that spot as well where you're like well how do I pay the rent this month how do I get creative enough with my finances and uh, with places I can borrow from to just get by or to put petrol in my car so that I can get to work um, knowing that there's enough in the bank now to cover those expenses is to me that is the greatest luxury and it just makes me feel so much more secure and safe and that's the thing I don't want to lose that feeling of safety yeah I can I can see what you mean with that and I um, I had a meeting last week I'm sure we'll go on to this um, with a financial advisor and um, what I didn't expect was to come away from there feeling better. And as you say, like having a feeling of sort of security and safety, even though nothing had actually changed. And um, there's certain things that I put in place that made me feel a little bit more secure. But yeah, that the feeling of having nothing and no backup and, and I'm on my own. So there's no one else bringing any money in. Um, it's yeah, it, it, it's been quite tough. I think that's a reality that a lot of creative business owners have faced or will face at some point and it doesn't get talked about very much because there's still so much shame and stigma associated with money with having money and with not having money just kind of with the whole topic of money in general I know even talking to you now I do feel slightly awkward just because of the topic I mean yeah I mean I think the first when you first tweeted about earning that money last year um I mean part of the reason why I went back with what I'd um earn was um definitely in a way of this is good that you're talking about it. Look, I'll talk about it too, because I I kind of respect that you are willing to talk about it. It's not something that people talk about. There's so much tied up in people's kind of self-worth and perception around money. And that's why I think it was good for people to see us having a, you know, having a very kind of normal conversation, different ends of the scale with no sort of judgment there either. Yeah, that's, the, that's really key, isn't it? It's, it's, being able to put it out there without putting our own judgments on it 
and not taking other people's judgments to heart if they do happen because they probably will because everyone's kind of lugging that money baggage around with them. What we were able to do was have a conversation about money. I need to go back and find these tweets and share them with everyone, but have a conversation as equals um, because our income does not define anything else about us. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's, um, I think a lot of the time people look to people who are earning money and go, how do I do it? You know, I, I want to do that as well. And um, it's people kind of lose focus of what, what are you going to spend your days doing to get that? Are you going to be happy and fulfilled like you are with what you do? And um, that's that's why you do what you do. And it's a great thing that you've ended up earning good money from it. And and for example, this year, I'm having a really good year. So I'm doing the same as I did last year. Yeah, the same stuff. Yeah. And by by April, I'd earned as much as I had the whole of last year. So, um, you know, that that put me in a position where I could pay off what the disaster of last year. And now in September, I, I'm in a much better, more fortunate position than I was. And I feel totally different as a result. Can you think of anything that is different that has made that change? Do you think the fact that you kind of were working solidly through last year has put you in better stead for this year? Or is it purely just the way the markets are working in random chance? I think it's really how the markets are working around on chance. It's, um, you know, with illustration, it's very much about whether your style is um, what people want to use. Mm. And so it can make such a massive difference. I, I worked with um, an advertising agency on something for a brand earlier this year. And, you know, when I get decent work, it's really well paid. So that can make a big difference. So that's one thing. But also the um, the live illustration events that I illustrate at, that that is brilliant for me. Um, it's growing as as retail is failing. Retailers are looking for more interesting ways to get um, a bit of theatre in store. So I'm getting a lot more of those of those kind of gigs, um, and I'm getting more well known for it. I think um, it's something that I'm really confident at, and they get a great end result. So that that's definitely helping. That's helping financially, definitely. I love watching you live illustrate. You sometimes share them on stories as well, don't you? Yeah, as as much as I can. When I'm when I'm illustrating for a brand, it's there's just too many things to do to share it um in in time. But yeah, I do I do, do that. And I do um when I paint at home I do I share a lot on live as well. I quite like a lot of artists uh, they like to sort of be on their own and shut themselves away. I'm like, come on everyone, have a look. <laughs> <laughs> Such an oversharer. I think that's why social media has been so good for me. Are you an extrovert then or are you just a web traverb. Uh yeah, I'm definitely a web traverb. I I didn't realize I was an introvert until um I'm I'm in a shared office in Bristol that I only really use for my admin and stuff, but when I went in there one day they were like we want you to do the Myers-Briggs um personality test and and I was like okay, I'll do it. And they apparently they were all discussing before like I'd definitely be an introvert and I had no idea and then um yeah, it pinned me perfectly and it suggested that I would be a that I should be a fashion designer or an interior designer well that's handy you did well <laughs> yeah but no I am I'm very yeah I would definitely say a webtrovert like look at me look at me but don't look at me <laughs> you're not in real life, <laughs> yeah, not in real life. <laughs> um you mentioned your meeting with the financial advisor so you, this was another thing that you've put up on twitter kind of the the learnings from this meeting um, and I have to say, like, I saw your tweet and I was like, I'm so glad she's talking about this. This is really important. This is really useful. I'm not going to read the thread because it's money. And my brain still immediately just wants to just hide from any conversation about 
money, money management, money products. I'm sure there'll be people who will have seen the episode title for this one and thought, oh, it's about money. I don't know if I'm going to listen. Um, but made myself read it because I knew I'd be speaking to you today. And actually, there was so much valuable stuff in there. So I thought maybe we could run through what you learned in that meeting. Keeping in mind, obviously, for everyone listening, um, this was based in the UK. So if you're international, things might be slightly different. And obviously, Nikki, you're not a financial advisor. You just chatted <laughs> to one. <laughs> no, I just spoke to one. And um, it's probably important to say that he's a friend of mine, actually. So he's someone I've known for a couple of years and I've managed to avoid talking about money for two years Um, (laughs) and so finally at one point I said do you know I think maybe I need to have a proper sit down talk with you so we it was a proper meeting so tell me about the um the different options that he sort of ran through with you so the first um part of the meeting really he just sort of asked me what was important to me um in terms of am I worrying about the future and, and pension or is it the now uh am I worried about Um, how to pay my mortgage, various things like that. And so he just sort of listened for a while, as I said, I'm not so worried about pension because I've just figured that I'm never going to retire and I'm always going to have to work, which is, um, I don't know how healthy that is. I think a lot of us are coming to that conclusion scarily. Yeah. Yeah. And also my my dad passed away when he was 53. So I'm 42 now. There's something that in in me is like, just live it now. Yeah. not spend it now but the idea of tying a lot of money up for the future I'm like what that sounds like nonsense but mm, I've kind of changed my mind a little bit about that so anyway we we spoke about what was important and um mine was to put money away but to have access to it um for the times when work goes you know goes wrong basically um and he was really good I mean when I I remember seeing somebody um a, a pensions advisor when I was at Monsoon about 15 years ago um, and he, I very much then had this sort of more of a scare tactic. If you don't put this away, then this is the situation you're going to be in. And um, I think that just scarred me for years. Um, but this conversation was was way more different to that. It was much more understanding of the life of a freelancer. He knows I earned nothing last year mm-hmm. and he knows that things have changed. So, um, so the first thing we really spoke about was an amount that I could look at putting away every month Um and I was like, well, I've got, I've got a bit now saved away. And he's like, no, don't run, don't put something away, lots of it away. Just start learning to sort of drip feed a little bit away. So um, the first thing we talked about really was um, critical illness insurance. So I've had a few friends of mine this year, last few years, um, have got ill and some of them have been freelance. And as a result, their partners have had to take extra jobs to earn the money to pay bills and um, it really, really made me think. And they've, they've said to me, um, you know, really think about critical illness insurance. And, you know, I just put my head in the sand again for another year or so. It's a lot of uncomfortable things to think about in it's, there, isn't there? Because it's not only the thought of not having money, but yeah. the thought of being human and potentially getting very poorly. Yeah. But I think from last year, realising how stress can affect my work, I thought, blindly stress and illness and not being able to work sounds awful. So, what I'm going to be doing is taking out critical illness insurance. And what it means is I pay around, I mean, you can, you can get different um, variations of this, but I'll be paying around £30 a month for the next 20 years or so. Um, if within those 20 years I get one of the illnesses that are on the list, then I get a one-off payout of £50,000, um, which, you know, I could live off that for a couple of years, probably more. Um, so that suddenly already makes me feel less 
like, oh God, if something happens, what will I do? At least I know now. Okay, I'll be able to pay my mortgage and I'll be able to get better. So that I've decided to kind of go ahead with. That's, I guess we should recognise here as well for anyone listening in the States, um, we obviously have um, free healthcare, free at point of access healthcare in the UK. So um, you wouldn't be needing to cover any medical bills out of that. It would be purely living expenses. Yes, yeah, that's just for living expenses. There was another option, wasn't there, that he said in ca- you could take out in case of illness? So the other option is income protection. Um, and this is, again, an amount that you pay monthly. Um, but if um, it just protects you, should something happen, if you get signed off work for stress, or for me, my major worry was that something would happen with my right arm. And obviously, I all of my work oh, yeah. comes from me drawing with my right arm. Um, and then if you're signed off, yeah, there's very varying reasons of um, there are varying levels of protection in that um, a lot of them kick in after a few months. So you would be out without money for three months, but then you would start getting a regular um, income of, say, £900. And it's all dependent on them. Um, they look at what you earn, what you've earned over the last few years, and they sort of project your earnings and they cover you for those. Um, but it the but the problem for me was that I've been to see um, the doctor about my arm over the years. So um, they probably wouldn't have covered me. And uh, yeah. to be honest, I'm just the sort of person that if if something happened to my arm, then I would be, okay, I'm going to learn how to do um, social media um, consultancy, or I'm going to find a job at a university or do an MA or something. So I just think I would actually diversify if there was something that stopped me from working in one way, then I would... I'd rather diversify than than pay this insurance. Yeah, if you were still well within yourself and able to work, you would find yeah. a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's taking it's, it's a little bit of a gamble, but I've I've never been a fan of insurance. I find it incredibly boring. It feels extremely negative. Um, so I don't now want to take out every possible insurance there is going. <laughs> it is all a gamble. Like I've always thought this about insurance. You're kind of. You know, you're, you're placing your bets on what you think is most likely to happen or not, because sometimes it would be just as cost effective to be putting that amount of money away per month. And then if you didn't, say, have a car crash that year and need to claim on your insurance, then you would you would win and you would keep the money. But yeah, most of the time, the responsible thing to do is to take out a policy. It is. And I mean, really, what I thought with this one is, you know, say say something were to happen, say I was to get something in the next few years, I, I would have hundreds of pounds saved, I wouldn't have suddenly thousands of pounds. Um, and yeah, there's, there's been ways that I've talked myself out of these things over the years. And I think I've just been quite lucky um, not to have not to have um, been ill, basically. Um, hopefully, this is just money that will just, you know, I'll, I'm losing out. But I just feel now that I'm quite, I feel happy that I'm I'm going to be paying it. It's quite reassuring as well, actually, to know that this was recommended to you by a professional, but also by a friend, because I know, I suspect a lot of people have this, I'm quite cynical about a lot of policies. I remember kind of in the 90s when all the credit cards were trying to make people take out payment protection insurance. And a lot of it was, you know, very, <clears throat> sorry, that was on, on on credit cards or on store cards. And a lot of it was actually useless. And the, the loopholes that they would make people jump through in order to actually pay out meant that very few people ever benefited from it. But I think there's been a lot of overhauling in that industry since then. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that because I was with a friend, 
that, I mean, it's part of the reason why I shared it all on Twitter, because I know from loads of, loads of my friends who are freelancers are like me and like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. And it's so dry. And, you know, my friends sort of presented me with this um, sort of pamphlet and all this paperwork. And I was like, this just looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. So boring. Can't somebody make these graphics look more interesting? So, um, you know, in a way I can, I could talk to him like that and ask him some really frank questions. And like I say, it's why I, why I did the thread sort of save everyone the pain of sitting through an hour, at least this way, I'm hoping that some people go, actually, that's not a bad idea. And, um, just to say that some people have replied on my tweet, um, to say what they've, they're like, oh yeah, I have this because my husband isn't well and, or I've done that before. And I just think it helps the people to see people that are, are looking at their financial um, uh, security. Yeah, the people. I think it's good for people to see that you know being aware of your financial situation um, isn't just a boring thing. It doesn't mean that you're a boring person. Um, it also doesn't mean that you're rich. You don't have to be rich to care about your finances. You don't. It doesn't have to drive money. Doesn't have to drive you for you to care about where you are. Um, so I feel that that thread, hopefully, it seems to, that, I mean, the, the one that you retweeted earlier has done quite well, but I, I quote tweeted it at one point. I don't know who shared it, but it's it's got kind of two, three hundred likes now, which, you know, bearing in mind it's about money. Yes, for creatives. Probably sold it a little bit. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I think as well, we're at an advantage now in the fact that we can shop around for this stuff ourselves online. Like we can go and compare different quotes and policies and we're not dependent on necessarily going to a financial advisor because I know it's a bit like with mortgages I find it really difficult to find someone who's genuinely impartial and not actually kind of you know sponsored by so-and-so bank and actually trying to sell their policies above all else or it does feel like a bit of a minefield sometimes yeah I mean there is that to it I mean I don't know since I've been freelance I I do kind of respect a little bit more that you know in a way of course they're going to be trying to sell some policies rather than others because they want to make some money from the sale so I don't mind so much now I, I do I do sort of think it's more about trusting the person that you're talking to it's good to get a recommendation I think um, but yeah like you say there's so much you can look up online yourself. So I guess for you this came about because you are feeling like a little bit more financially secure this year or that you at least have a little bit of disposable income to start channeling into um, these areas for your financial security so but there's probably people listening who are thinking I haven't got 30 quid a month to spare to put onto a policy yeah I mean I'm sure and to be honest last year I would have said the same thing um I think now just for me with hindsight I'm not taking my current situation I'm not taking for granted at all I'm basically going how can I protect myself for another year like last year I'm not being um pessimistic about it but I think it's it's very realistic and I might have another year like that so I'm trying to put something in place to protect myself a bit so I mean, the other thing as well is I've been going, I haven't got a pension. I've never had a pension. So um, I've said for ages and on Twitter, has anyone got a pension? I haven't got a pension. And um, again, it was like, well, I'm a freelancer. How can we afford them? And then my friend said to me, have you got any pensions? Did you not put anything anywhere when you were, you know, you were at Monsoon for like six years? And I was like, oh, I did maybe for a year or two, but not much. And I knew that I put maybe like three, four grand in Um and then I contacted, um, I mean, it used to be with Norwich Union and they don't even exist anymore. 
So I, I managed to find out they're now with a fever and I phoned them um, and then they sent the statements through and that money had turned into 20 grand. Wow. So, yeah. So that did make me think, well, imagine if I'd have been paying in a little bit into a mortgage for all these years. Uh, so, um, so that was a little bit of a lesson, really, that um, this money that I'd almost just written off, I just thought, oh, you know, I'd sort of gone pensions are useless. They're just rubbish. You can't get to them anyway. And and then suddenly you go, oh, actually, they, they can make you some, some money. So um, I am now going to be putting something small, like £50 a month into a pension as well. It's just about something tiny, really. That's what I've decided. And so, I, I mean, I totally understand. If you haven't got the money, if you haven't got any money to put anywhere, then of course you can't put anything anywhere. It's sort of patronising, I think, if I said, just find some, because I know that that's... Just buy fewer slices of avocado on toast. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> As if. Um, yeah. Because, you know, last year I really didn't, I really didn't have have it and you know I did all the I was like blimey I'm I'm definitely eating worse than students see them eating bloody avocado and toast and I was I have some jacket potatoes and uh, lots of cheap things um but yeah I think um I think if you have got a little bit that you could put away then I would consider doing it I can't believe I'm saying that <laughs> you've gone so responsible <laughs> um I guess maybe we could talk about tips or kind of just advice for people who are in that situation if they haven't got it right now because as we've both been there um and I'm sure there are people listening who maybe are at that point where they're even thinking can I keep doing my creative business um because it's not making them quite enough to get by um what would you say to yourself of a year ago if you could speak back to her uh to be honest though there wouldn't be any advice other than just to keep going. Um, I sort of decided that I would just keep going as long as I could keep going. My um, my plan B was that I would have to move back to London and start working in design again. You found the thing that you love and you don't necessarily want to start kind of taking on additional jobs that you've probably done previously in your life and feel like you've left behind. Yeah, it's, part, it's partly leaving that behind, but it's also more, um, you know, I think... I can I can earn good money when I work. So all it takes is for one thing to change, and then I've got a good commission. Um, so I'm I'm always waiting. It's like holding my nerve. And um, I realise as well. And I spoke actually. There was a Twitter thread the other day about this of how failures, how people, you know, failures, failed businesses. You can learn a lot from them. And I've had a few things along the way where they haven't worked out, but I've learned so much that um, it's really helped me for the. For the now um so I would say carry on if you carry on as long as you can it's really hard to focus on you know people said to me perhaps diversify and I tried doing I did a bit of social media strategy for people but everything needs your full um attention it's really hard it's basically like saying okay well I'll start another business and another one and I'll expect them all to make me money it's you know, I'm 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 very much now uh, focused on on illustration and everything about illustration. And I still I diversify, you know, massively on there really because I do the live illustration, I do brand work, I then paint and I sell prints of those. Um, I still sell some of my stationery, although I'm winding that down. Um, so you know, I I diversify within it, but um, yeah, it's easy for people in full time jobs to kind of say, why don't you try this? Yeah, why don't you just get a job doing X, Y, Z? Yeah. 
Um, there was a there was a good Twitter thread. It might be um, the one you mentioned then, or kind of an offshoot of it. But there was um, an actor from the Cosby Show who was kind of shamed by some American tabloid, I think, because he's now working as a bag boy in a supermarket. So he's uh. bag- bagging up groceries for people. And they were kind of saying, look how far he's fallen. And the amazing response of Twitter, one of those times when Twitter really comes through, was everybody saying like, good on him. That's the reality of following your passions and having a dream job is sometimes you just got to make ends meet. And sometimes you do have to take a break from doing what you're doing to to you know pay your bills or maybe sometimes you know you don't need to necessarily work financially but you need something to give you structure to your day so you find a job that gets you out of the house and we should never be shaming anyone for the work that they choose to do no not at all I mean I was um I was a fashion designer for years and I I always loved drawing more than anything else and that's kind of why I went into it I mean I I, I do love design and I love the commercial side of it I love fabrics and I love all the travel um but there was something that I always just wanted to draw and paint. And um, so it was a big risk for me. And it was a it was a quite a big thing to um, to deal with other people's perceptions of it. I was a head of design at a, a company and then I just left and became freelance. And I had the thing of, you know, people would find me on Instagram and go, wow, we love your work. Will you come and illustrate at our press day? And I think they probably expected somebody who was 20 and, you know, kind of quite cute and learning and it was quite a difficult thing to you suddenly have people have a perception of you and then you're a struggling artist yeah it's quite a thing you it's definitely definitely people are much more impressed when I was designing and I would be like oh I'm a fashion designer and they go wow do you travel everywhere and I yes um this is far less impressive um but I, I don't care I I'm doing it and I so that's another thing really I see last year was my choice it was my choice to be struggling last year and no one's fault. And I wanted to carry on doing it, hence why I just held my nerve. But it's a, yeah, it's a choice. Do you think you still have money baggage? And if so, what it, what does it look like for you? Um, I don't know, maybe I do. I don't know if I were to earn big money, how comfortable I would be to talk about it. So I don't know whether I found it easy to kind of go, hey, guys, I'm not doing so well, but that doesn't matter. You know, look, we're, we're all, you know, we're all in the same kind of boat here and we just got different outcomes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was really brave of you. And it really made me kind of think I like to think I'd be able to do that um, because. So, yeah, I think that's probably my hang up of if I if I did really well if I would struggle with that yeah it is a different kind of uncomfortable um yeah. I think because as well I've always because like you I, you know I've not come from money um and I've spent a lot of my life really struggling with money so that, that was kind of my identity I felt very safe in that identity and I knew who my people are and you know I was always able to relate to other people in business because I could say you know I know what it's like I know what it's like to struggle and I still do know what it's like um, it's just not my reality right now in the day to day, but it did talking about it made me think, does this make me not belong anymore with the people who I've always felt like I'm one of? Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is comfort in the, in the sort of masses of, and you know, for me, the struggling artist thing, there's loads of illustrators who are, you know, on, on Twitter often really, really kind of soak up any information you're willing to give for free any tips because you know a lot of people are struggling and there's 
a lot of people taking advantage of um, of illustrators as well. I mean, there's I have such a I mean, that's probably a good thing to talk about is the the um, the respect between brands sometimes and um, illustrators and influencers in getting paid. I mean, that yeah. was a problem last year was um, was brands having me on sort of 60 or 90 day payment terms. Um, it's incredibly stressful to be chasing something in that's three months late um, on top of a three month term. It's just impossible when, you, when you're, you know, got a mortgage to pay. Um, and there's also quite a few instances in the last few years of companies with those 90 day payment terms that go bust before they've actually managed to pay anyone. Well, last year, I, I don't know whether you know, but I'm part of um, something called Lil Collective. So it's Live Illustration London. And there are three of us. And um, we basically found that we were all getting the same kind of work, similar clients. And sometimes I couldn't do a job and I'd pass it on to Willa. And then if she couldn't do something, she'd pass it on to Emma. Um, and so we were like, do you know what? Let's start up a little collective. And that's been brilliant because we've been, um, you know, other than doing live illustration events, we've sort of helped out with how much are you quoting for this and should we do this and so we, good yeah that's that's just been brilliant but we also um we did some work with house of fraser um last year and it was brilliant it was it was really successful and we also placed illustrators all over the uk so we had people in edinburgh and glasgow and leeds birmingham everywhere um and it was brilliant and but it all went through m- me and my business i sort of handled it and um so then i invoiced house of fraser and I then owed everyone else money. That, that period of time where it was started, there were rumbles of it. Thankfully, Willa just gave me the heads up. I've just seen this somewhere. And so I just chased that. I chased that payment in like you've never seen. <laughs> because otherwise I would have been liable to those to those illustrators. I would have had to pay them and I would have been like in a very, very bad state. Yeah, so for context, for anyone listening to this later, House of Fraser have just gone into receivership um, and are not paying any of their debtors, creditors. I never know which way around that goes. Creditors. Yeah, so, yeah, it is, um, it's really stressful. Um, and I, I think there's, I mean, there's a petition at the moment that um, is going around to try and make make the fees impossible. So when you're freelance, if you if they go over your terms and, you know, legally, you should be able to put fees on there. But I've never been able to do that. Um, I, I just chase and chase and chase. And eventually it comes through. And then I think, I don't want to work with you again. <laughs> yeah. And it's never then seems worth chasing and chasing for the additional kind of 100 yeah. quid or whatever it would be for your fees. But actually, it would be a real incentive to them if they were having to pay it. And I imagine as an illustrator, you're getting asked to work for free an awful lot. Yeah, it's something I'm very, very vocal about on Twitter and Instagram. (laughs) Um, Very vocal. And I've written a blog post on it that um, it's been read a lot of times. Um, It's something I'm really, really passionate about, about not working for free. Um, I don't think anyone should work for free. I don't think that when you're straight out of university and you've got no no experience that you should go and intern anywhere for free. I think it just sets up for people from privileged backgrounds to get experience and it's the reason why when I was working, you know, in fashion, the floor would be full of, of basically white girls of a certain age and from certain areas, basically. Um, and it didn't sort of represent the, the London that I was living in. So, yeah, I'm very much like I don't think anyone should work for free for anything. But with illustration, it's it's even um, I've never known anything quite like it. The amount of emails I would get Um just saying we've got this incredible event there's all these the vips are celebrities there um a lot of the time it was big magazine events and it could be great exposure for you 
Um, and rather than, I, I used to be very polite about it and be like, oh, thank you so much, but I can't because, well, I wouldn't really explain. Um, but now I'm like, I'm I'm sorry, but I'm not in a financial position to to work for free. These are my fees. Um, please get in touch if you'd like me to attend. And do they ever come back and say, okay, we'll pay you? No, but... <laughs> No, not that, not that that's the point, but I'm interested to know. No, but sometimes they'll come back. Um, it's almost as if you've kind of thrown a bucket of water over them and they've gone, oh, my God, yeah, I am just asking somebody to to work for nothing. And then they kind of go, I'm really, you know, they sort of apologise in a way and say, really, hopefully something will come up in future and we'll get, we'll get in touch with you. I mean, I don't, a lot of the time I know that the person that's contacting me is not the person that's that yeah. is for that budget. They, they're doing a job themselves. But I do think it's important sometimes for um, people to just think, just think, do I really want to send this email like this, the way that it's worded? I think it's much more polite to sort of write, ask what the fee is, what, you know, what is your fee for doing this? Um, you know, and then come back and go, actually, we can't afford you. I think illustration seems to be one of those things in particular where people People kind of disrespect the amount of work that goes into it. I think because they think, well, I can draw a bit. And if I could draw well, I'd just, it would only take me 10 minutes. But of course, they've no idea how long it will take because it, us non-illustrators are not in the reality of it. And also, whenever you pay someone for their skills, you're not just paying for their time for the hour or whatever that they sit and draw the thing for you. You're paying for all their education and all their experience and all the times that they drew things and it didn't work out and the lessons they've learned from it and that's what they bring to the table in the same way that a neurosurgeon who's very experienced and has got a brilliant track record of success is a lot more expensive than the new qualified neurosurgeon who's never actually dug around in someone's head. I like to be uh, likened to a neurosurgeon. <laughs> very similar, very similar jobs. Yeah. <laughs> but that's It kind of goes back to what I was saying as well about being a head of design and then just being a freelancer. You know, there's no sort of, I'm a senior live illustrator. Or I'm a, you know, there's none yeah. of that. So, um, but the good thing for me, I think what's happened recently is a lot of the um, the sort of agencies, PRs, brands that, that sort of realised, oh, live illustration, we should get somebody in. They realise from getting people in that are less experienced um, or that aren't, you know, quite so good at interacting with people, because that's a huge part of it, is being friendly to the people that are coming up yeah. to you. What's the list to do? Um, it's really part of it. And you haven't had a break and you might need loo and you've got to keep smiling and you've got to keep everything on brand. Um, the good thing for me now is that I, I don't know whether it's because people have had bad experiences, but people come back to me now. And to the to the other girls that I'm in the collective with, we we get a lot of work, a lot of repeat work as well. Um, but yeah, there's it takes a while. It's it's hard to kind of. I mean, I think partly I've got a bit of a hang up about it, and it's probably why I write my age quite a lot because uh, I'm a bit like I've been in the industry a long time, you know. <laughs> so my previous work experience, like in the NHS and before that in retail, like it doesn't seem immediately transferable to what I do now. But I still feel like all of those years taught me so much that I bring along to what I do now because you learn professionalism you learn about you know meetings and people's expectations and the admin side of things and all of that kind of life experience does come across I think in the way you conduct yourself as a freelancer. Yeah I think so I mean I used to you know handle budgets with 
um, with what I did and I look at sales figures and I had a real, the good thing for me is I had a real understanding of, um, of sales and retail and moving things on, um, which is why I'm quite good at getting a grip on a brand and doing, creating something for them that's on brand. Um, but yeah, it's, there is, it is quite difficult sometimes when, um, when you're, well, for me, when I'm co- contacted by somebody who's really young and they're asking me to work for free and they're telling me how, how what a good experience it would be for me, I, f- I find that quite difficult. That's why I often turn to Twitter and go, ah! <laughs> I've had instances in the past where, um, when I when I first did some illustration work, it was actually um, in Australia in 2000. So I met somebody on a bus who saw that I was carrying a portfolio and said, Ooh, what have you got in there? And I was kind of traipsing around trying to get fashion design work, failing miserably. And she said, I've got a friend at Vogue. You should go and show her your portfolio because your drawings are really nice. Wow. Yeah, it was proper exciting. So then I went to Vogue like a day later or something in my, you know, my flip flops and my whatever garb I was wearing from Thailand and um it was the editor of Vogue I met so it was it was proper like dream stuff um, and I got a commission in Vogue in 2000 so um I then had this really really strange period of time where I was backpacking around Australia but doing these huge uh huge pieces for people big things I did something quite regularly for Harper's Bazaar and then and then I did something through an ad agency that was meant to be for a um for an invitation for a fashion show a sort of a5 printed thing um and then I'd left Sydney and I'd been doing a little bit of teaching as well it's amazing how confident you are when you're 20 something it's like yeah I can teach yeah (laughs) all these things and um and then one of my students were like wow we've seen your illustrations in a department store there and they thought I'd gone and um basically they thought I'd left the country the ad agency and it was everywhere it was um it was massive in all these windows the department store it was in all the newspapers as an advert um and that really taught me and 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 actually what I did do I found a I found a lawyer that charged by the minute on the phone so I got some help um I spent something like two hundred dollars on advice and then I I went on my own and I sat at this ad agency and um basically got payout it was rubbish now I look at it but it was great at the time and it really taught me for me like I've got to things have got to be fair and that I think that's probably what um it's all about for me on Twitter like I really like demand justice and fairness like for myself and for other people and that comes down to finances as well and it's why I mean I'm a I'm a um, member of the Association of Illustrators and that's and such an amazing resource because you you can write to them and go been asked to do this and this and this how much should it be and they'll help you and I think I'm sure for influencers, it would be so nice if you had something like that, like a bit of a benchmark and a bit of a gang. And people, again, because it's about money, people are quite guarded about talking about it. So you can ask around kind of your peer group, but unless you have very close friends who feel safe talking to you about money, um, you might not always get the whole story. No, it's really dependent on personality a lot of the time as well. I mean, I I'm now, I know that my rate for live illustration is higher than most of the people that I work alongside. I just decided to put it up. I thought, you know what, I work really hard and I feel like I I want it to be this. And so I'm not in line with the going rate. I'm a little bit higher, um, but that's fine. I feel like I, I work really hard for people. I go over and above and I feel really happy with the money that I earn from it now, whereas before I I, I wasn't so much. When I contacted some people about doing the work with um, House of Fraser, 
and I asked them for their rate. Some of them were so low. And so I just went back to them and go, right, okay, you should, you should be charging this much. Tell me this much. And, then we'll <laughs> um, and you know, that's a, that's a big thing as well of um, helping. I actually quite like helping other people believe their worth and their financial worth. I think because I've come from that fashion design background where you talk about money all the time not about what you're earning but it's sales and how much is this dress and what's the profit on it and all of those things I'm used to talking about money so I think that has translated a little bit I'm not shy about talking about it um we'll see though if I uh, if I suddenly make lots of money we'll see if I go quiet but <laughs> well then I'll get you back on this podcast and force you to talk about it with me <laughs> yeah you can pay me <laughs> and you can you can feel awkward like I do <laughs> yeah no it's like I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't say until I've experienced it, can I? But I'm, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I like to think that I would be open. I kind of feel like I should pledge now that if things really change and I start earning really good money, that I would then be quite open about it. I like to think I. Would I be. think you would be. And it's what's you're embarrassed about is, and it's and it doesn't mean you're showing off. It's a, it's a weird British yeah. thing. It, I, like, it is quite British, isn't it? I know in the states, like there's a lot of um, like female entrepreneurs who make their turnover or their uh, profit a big part of their kind of um selling point like look how successful I am obviously I'm good at what I do but in the UK I feel like that probably wouldn't work yeah I, I mean I've just got to hope it's changing really because you know it's it's really about judging people that you saying that you earn six figures you're just saying look what's possible um, if people judge you on it and think that you're thinking something, there's something really weird about that. I just think it's great. I mean, I've just done some work for um, It Cosmetics, who are an amazing brand that have been bought by L'Oreal in the last couple of years. Um, and it was started by a woman in America who had been trying, she she was a, a newsreader and she had rosacea on her face and she just couldn't find a makeup to cover it. So she then um, developed something and has been trying hard and hard to get somewhere with it. Um, she managed a two-minute segment on QVC. She took all of her makeup off wow. um, to show her skin underneath, and the sales went crazy. And since then, L'Oreal have bought it, and it's very public everywhere how much money she's made from it. And she's, you know, she's everyone's going, "Wow, that's amazing! Good on her! She's worked hard." And but it is, it is quite different, yeah. The sort of American versus the way that we are in Britain of like, oh, I'm terribly sorry, but I earned some money. <laughs> That's exactly how it feels. And then at the same time, like the the amount of learning that you do when your financial situation changes, like there's so much that I feel really passionate about sharing with people because because that's what I've always done, right? Like when things are bad, I share. When my business goes in a bad direction, I share. When my business does well, I'm like, this is what I learned from it. This is, that's kind of everything I'm about. So naturally it's like, okay, I've made some money and this is what I've discovered. Um, it would be weird for me not to talk about it. I think it's healthy. I mean, I, I have a friend who um, has done really well with a book that she's written and it's a kind of a life-changing situation that she's in because wow. of the success of it. Yeah, can you mention the book or is it best not I'm, to? I'm not sure. I'll, I'll ask her and if okay. I can, then perhaps we can put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but she's just done brilliantly, brilliantly with it. And and it's it's a hard thing. I think she, you know, we're sort of saying it's a hard thing from struggling for years and that sort of being your identity to it's sort of gone. That that identity is gone, and you know, who who are you now? When because you you don't have to worry so much in the you know next yeah. few. Years. 
least at the very least kind of thing definitely and and even just kind of there's a lot of guilt that comes with it I think because for me it's been like well my financial situation has changed but not necessarily the situations of everyone around me at the same rate which all of a sudden you feel quite different to the people around you and it's there's all these kind of political decisions like how many times can I offer to pay for dinner before it crosses the line is a bit insulting like all these kind of social rules that I have no idea about and I'm just blundering through yeah I can imagine it's some you know I've had years when when I was working in a job where I earned well and um I'd be the same with people who weren't doing so well and then when you're I don't know yeah you kind of go oh don't worry it doesn't matter because you kind of know it you that it would work the other way around but it is yeah, I don't know. We're just not very good at it here, are we? No, we're not. And the women, the being a woman and earning well as well, I think, is um, you know, we, we're much more used to people with extreme wealth being visible, like you know, Lord Sugar and Richard Branson. Like, yes, you know, we've earned loads of money. We're entrepreneurs, and you know, it's less less women that come to mind that have been very very vocal about the financial definitely. And the women that do come to mind tend to be, they've kind of been squeezed into or have squeezed themselves into a more masculine role. So they're much more kind of business and they're wearing a trouser suit with the shoulder pads. And this new kind of wave of people who are maybe creative entrepreneurs or mothers as well as being entrepreneurs and quite visible with it and doing well financially is is something different. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's a it's quite fascinating and inspiring for future that you don't have to fit into this mold um, that you can be successful and also financially stable from being who you are and doing something that you're really passionate about yeah. you don't have to sort of give up it's not one or the other I sort of was always like either I go down a route where I chase money and I'm not happy or I go down a route where I don't chase money and then I'm happy but you can there are ways to sort of go in the middle somehow yeah, and that feels new. I'm sure it's there's been opportunities historically, but if, I think it's opened up so much with the internet and um, just with the power of being able to connect with your audience directly. So it's an exciting time. Yeah. Nikki, where can people find you online so they can read your Twitter rants and see your work? So I'm at miss underscore magpie underscore spy, which is S-P-Y, and my website is missmagpiefashionspy.com. And before you go, let's just quickly talk about how you use Instagram, because one of the things I love is that you are not chasing the numbers on there at all. Well, it's kind of the opposite. I, I've been on Instagram now for seven years, so I was there early um, and I got work from my first post, actually. Um, I did work with Grazia um, because I was one of the first people to do the thing of um, seeing something happening on the catwalks, draw it, put it back on Instagram. So ah. I got Grazia then. I don't think that was paid, actually, but that was I was... I wasn't an illustrator then I had no idea what was going on so then I'm at the slowest the slowest uphill climb to 10,000 followers you've ever seen (laughs) and uh, I've got really really loyal I've got such a loyal engaged group of people I love it but yeah I'm looking forward to the the swipe function how far off are you from 10k about 500 okay well let's see if we can get you a bit closer with this episode <laughs> everyone go and follow nikki because yeah. she needs her 10k swipe up it, it is very useful to have do you still do the um, mosaic things as well on instagram no i used to do that actually that was something i was thinking um because i i did used to do that and i've won that digital influencer award as oh, a yeah. result let's talk about that then as well okay and um, the thing i was thinking is actually miss magpie fashion spy was for a completely different business i feel like you need to explain your username to people 
because um, I still think of you as Miss Magpie Spy in my head and I have to remind myself your real name's Nikki. Yeah, <laughs> I go to events sometimes and people go, oh, hi, it's uh, Miss Ma- Miss Maggie, Maggie, Maggie? <laughs> Miss Marple, I've had Miss Moneypenny, oh, I'm not joking, <laughs> ridiculous. But yes, I'm Nikki. Um, but originally, the um, when I first stopped doing fashion design and I went, well, I went freelance fashion designing. So um, I'd have a couple of days a week with a supplier and then I basically realised all of the travel that I used to do when I was full-time at Monsoon, um, that really feeds into your inspiration. So we'd go to New York, or we'd go to Hong Kong, Paris, and look at what's happening in the shops, what's happening on the street, look at the cafes, what are people doing. And they used to really feed into um, your work and make you kind of aware of contemporary changes. Um, and so Miss Magpie Fashion Spy, the idea was that I was going to go and do these trips and create reports to sell back to freelancers and to small companies that couldn't afford to send people on inspiration trips. So the idea was great and everyone was going, yeah, I think this would be brilliant. So I just poured time and money into this fabulous website um, and I did a sort of a presentation um, based on a trip that I did to New York. Um, but I am just the worst salesperson. So I, even, on that presentation, I didn't talk money at all. I just told everyone how amazing the thing was, didn't tell them how much it would cost them. And um, yeah, so people really wanted it. They wanted to use it for free oh. and it dwindled but within those reports I did little illustrations at one point before anyone was wearing coloured trousers anywhere this is years ago when everyone was wearing red jeans um in the states I did a little illustra- illustration of someone wearing red jeans and it was actually the illustrations that really got picked up and people were like I love your illustrations and I was like well, I always used to want to do it and I do love drawing um and then it came from there and because I'd set up all of my my um, Instagram and Twitter and stuff um I then started posting the illustration stuff on under the Miss Magpie Fashion Spy thing and then that stuck um so yeah it wasn't meant to be it wasn't meant to be like this and you know I put, a, I put loads of time and energy into that I still believe it was a good idea but with you know like a lot of things it needed time and yeah. it needed finances behind it yeah um, and also in the since then I um, launched a stationary um, range because again everyone was going you need passive income you need something that's you know ticking away when you haven't got any work coming in so um I worked with a friend she came and worked for me and we set up um a stationary range I went to top drawer to did it all properly um got really nice quality product and the prices are right but again it would have just needed full-time work and attention more money um and again so that's something that was looking like it could do quite well and then it's like fading away now what I'm hearing in that is that you just have stayed flexible and you've stayed quite responsive. And I think those are two really key things in business in general, aren't they? That just you're looking at your audience and letting kind of the demand and the interest steer you as much as your own kind of ideas are steering you and, and trying to find a line between the two. Yeah, definitely. And I I mean, I do think it comes down to a lot as well of um, of us categorizing things as this fails and this didn't fail um those businesses fed into to this yeah I, kind of, I like to I like to think that I'm like water I, I kind of I just move as I as I need to and I'm not a I, I'm a little bit of a crowd pleaser I, I do do sometimes I'll do something because I know that people will like it um but I'm sort of coming to terms with that now I've, I've been a designer for years I'm used to kind of going who's my customer what do I create that, that you know what dress will they love um you know I have to 
design a dress that would sell like 5,000 pieces. Yeah, so, so you, you're used to tapping into kind of yeah, audience not, trends. and Yeah, it's not necessarily about like, I just want to create this thing. So with illustration, my paintings as well, I'm often, even though I'm doing something that I'm really passionate about, I still also think, I think people are going to really like this. Um, I'm not embarrassed about that now. What you've just described is that is the the perfect balance that I think we all strive to find in our business. Um, and sometimes when I speak to people, they're kind of, you can see that they're too far one way or the other and you have to sort of nudge them back to finding that middle ground because it's no fun if everything you do is purely dictated by your audience and you have no say in it. But it's also rarely the route to success to do just what you want and shut out all other kind of feedback and only do what interests you because there's so much we can learn from kind of conversations with our audience and, and just kind of the psychology of what people are interested in. Yeah, I mean, I'd be if I really followed what people wanted me to do, I'd be in a very different situation now because what I get asked to do a lot are um, the sort of things I do at Live Illustration where I will do a portrait of somebody in like 10 minutes I get asked, I get emailed all the time to do those. And um, I don't, I don't offer them outside of events. Mm -hmm. and, I think, um, and when I used to do quick illustrations of people from their Instagram, that was also really popular. And I'd, you know, celebrities would repost stuff and I'd get loads more followers and it just didn't mean anything. Um, people don't have the money to pay what I actually need. Yeah, that would be a very labor intensive business because you'd need to draw so many people to make ends meet. Yeah, based on what people are willing, you know, really think that it's worth. Yeah. And then also I, I had a few experiences really when I was doing private commissions that may, you know, maybe think I just want to do brand work. So that's, again, it's a decision. I, I could probably be constantly drawing if it, if I wanted to. And it's something I could, you know, if, if, if I reached a point where I was like, I really need to earn some money, that is a, a good way to do it. But, but yeah, I'm definitely, um, I definitely have a direction that I'm, I'm going in and, I enjoy what I do I'm quite stubborn <laughs> <laughs> I think that that pays off as well you're talking about earlier about sticking with it through the rough years and not saying actually I'm going to go and quit this and go and get a, a job that on paper is much more simple that takes a bit of stubbornness and tenacity and that's a good thing to have the other thing that I always link to you for is in fact I think it's even in my institute class is when people ask about um, posting those mosaic Instagram grids so that is for anyone who's struggling to understand what I mean rather than posting a single picture as a single post it's when you chunk that up into like jigsaw puzzle pieces so that you, when someone looks at your grid as a whole they see the picture made up of lots of smaller squares so have I described that right yeah it was a beautiful thing <laughs> you were I, um, queen of it for a while yeah I am um, I just just I don't know what what made me do it I just felt that actually because my work's really detailed um a lot of the time, if I just post an image in a square, it just lost it lost some of the appeal for me, and I wanted things to be blown up. And then you'd only ever see a face if I blew it up. So then I started to join things together, but I didn't use an app. So I used to put something together in Photoshop where I would layer loads of my illustration and words and um, bits of watercolor paint and stuff. And I'd have this ongoing kind of collage. I'd then divide them up into squares. I'm um, put them onto my phone and then I'd load them in threes um and yeah it was it was a really kind of creative outlet for me actually I I really when I first started doing it I loved it and I loved how it looked but after I think I probably did it for about a year or something and then I um 
I was very lucky. I won um, the Digital Influencer Award for illustration from InStar magazine. Um, someone who worked for them had seen it, and um, it was great to win because I didn't. I, again, I didn't have many followers, so it wasn't. They weren't just judging it from the numbers. They sort of saw the creativity and everything behind it. But um, after a while, I I felt inhibited by it, and I thought, you know, it's time to stop. Um, I wasn't enjoying it anymore, and I felt like, you know, it's time to time to do something new and I've had advice from various people going I think you should go back to it it made you look much more professional and um it showed your work off better but you know, I, I probably agree but I prefer I prefer using Instagram as I do at the moment yeah you've got to go with your interests haven't you and you've got to kind of do what feels fun to you and maybe you'll come back to it maybe you won't yeah I mean I kind of stopped doing that and then I started blogging so I started doing the thing where I illustrated um the same outfit on three different women so I put the same time into that really as I was doing into my collage so yeah it was more it was more like right what is what is the thing for me now and what am I going to put my time into but we can get still scroll back can't we and see the previous um collages to get a feel for it and I know there are apps that make it slightly easier for people who want to have a go at it maybe without having to have the photoshop skills yeah, definitely. I'm, if you scroll back, you can see it. And um, yeah, I I only did it on Photoshop, but yeah, I know there are, there are apps you can do it with as well. I'll link to some of them in the show notes for anyone who might want to have a play and also um, back to your grid back then. So reminders of your username, Nikki, so everyone can come and follow you on Instagram and take a look. So it's at miss underscore magpie underscore spy on Twitter and Instagram. And my website is missmagpiefashionspy.com. And would you ever consider a rebrand and going to your name or are you very happy being Miss Magpie Spy? Um, I'm currently rebranding. Um, but yeah, but I'm keeping the same name because I just think um, it's just too risky and I've just got used to it. I think, um, yeah, maybe one day, but not quite yet. That's how I feel. I'm just like, oh, it's too much of a headache. I'm leaving it for now. <laughs> and I, 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 to be honest, I think... I don't I think for me especially it's like it's my work is what um people are buying into and if you know there's I've got I've got a footprint now I've got a history with the work that I've done and I don't want to you know walk away from that the only thing that I think of sometimes is um if I did a completely different style of painting which sometimes I fancy then I just do something um on the on the side under a under a pseudonym know oh that's quite exciting all right well you have to tell me if you do because I want to check it out yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much okay thank you Nikki's twitter thread that we talked about in that conversation was actually so successful that just after we spoke she was commissioned to write an article about it for money wise magazine and yes she was paid to write it I'm going to include a link to that magazine article as well as all the other things that we've talked about in the episode today in the show notes, which you'll find at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 55. If you've enjoyed the episode, I would love it if you would share it or maybe give me a like and a subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I hope you have a brilliant week.